Well, let's consider some of the thoughts, more thoughts from Exodus 32. Remember last week we introduced this, we went through the first couple of points. We looked at the argument of the people in Exodus 32.1 where they talked Aaron into making an idol, a golden calf as we know, and committed idolatry. And the agreement of the priest Aaron to do so. There was no argument, there was no standing saying no this is wrong and he was mixing the worship. He was going to have this idol, this golden calf that they'd fashioned with their hands and he's going to have the so-said worship of the Lord. Doesn't that sound familiar with churches today? But this is uh, <coughs> defying the leadership of the Lord and Moses' leadership. Remember that Moses was as a baby drawn from the water, the waters of the Nile, in 1654 BC. Forty years, they went into Pharaoh's place and learnt the Egyptian ways to be Pharaoh's son. Then 40 years as he fled from there in the wilderness of Midia. And then he saw the burning burning bush coming back in 1574. And that's when the exodus happened after the 10 plagues on Egypt. And so the the 15th day of the first month of Nisan, they had the Passover. Then we saw the sea divided for them on the second day after they left on the 17th day of Nisan then they went three days from there from the Red Sea and they ran out of water and the waters were bitter and God healed them and then they complained about the manna and God sent manna from heaven about 30 days out of Egypt And then he supplied water from the rock when they run out of water, Exodus 17. And now we come to about one and a half months out of Egypt, chapter 32 of the book of Exodus. 45 to 55 days is when this occurred. And so you need to get it into perspective to understand the seriousness of this. They had just gotten delivered. They'd seen multiple miracles with the plagues and the... Red Sea parting, the water provided from the rock, the the manna from heaven, the waters, bitter waters turned better. But they still committed this idolatry because Moses was 40 days out, 40 days away. And they couldn't stand, let's have us some gods. Let's make us some gods. Oh, how wicked this is. And uh, Aaron agreed with them. In verses 2 to 5 of Exodus 32. Now we come to the apostasy of the people full on. In verses 6 to 8 of Exodus. After the worship, so-called worship service, (laughs) and built an altar, verse 5, made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. See, they're mixing idolatry with the feast of the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow. They, they wanted to get into this real early. <laughs> the worship service, so-called, the people threw, after this, a wild party. Get thee down, said the Lord to Moses in verse 7, for thy, thy people, whom thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted, them, corrupted themselves. <laughs> <clears throat> 
so quickly. And there it says in verse 6, they did peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink. And this drink, I believe, was strong drink. It was intoxicating. And they rose up to play. Now, the word to play at the end of verse 6 is the same word that's used in Genesis 26 and verse 8, <clears throat> where Isaac was sporting, it says sporting. The word to play and sporting in Genesis 28, 26 verse 8 are the same word. Um, <clears throat> and this does not mean they were playing soccer or football or something like that, baseball. More like a wrestling match. They were sexually arousing each other. And the king of the Philistines looked at Isaac and Rebekah and Isaac had said, she's my sister. And this was going on. He said, she's not your sister. She's your wife. And this is the same thought here that these people had had their worship service, so-called, and then they were into sexual immorality. And it reminds me of the mosh pits in some modern churches where they have their worship service and they get all wound up and it's of a carnal nature. They were making sport as Isaac and Rebecca were. They were laughing, they were mocking, they were playing. And so this is a serious thing. It was gross immorality involved here. God's description here in verse 7 is they have corrupted themselves. Corrupted themselves. And as we looked at last week, week, so quickly, just like the Galatians had so soon removed from him that called them to salvation to another gospel. The church is so soon removed into this wicked behavior. One writer wrote, and this is over 20 years ago, it would be inconceivable to me if it were not for the fact that I have watched the church lapse into apostasy that I never dreamed possible I would live to see. If they were writing about it today, they would have a lot more to say than that. And this is <coughs> depicted over in the book of Thessalonians. In the book of Thessalonians, this is Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, where it reads, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, the day of the Lord, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> shall not come except there come a falling away first, that the man of sin should be revealed. And we see a terrible, a terrible falling away. These people fell, fell away one and a half months into their spiritual journey. After the first Passover. But we see a terrible falling away. And for people who are my age. And maybe a bit younger. And mostly older. They have seen some terrible changes happen within the church. The apostasy of the people. The apostasy of the church. And the Lord said this would happen. In Second Timothy. Just over a little bit in Second Timothy. Chapter 3. And verse 1. He Paul here spoke about it at another time. This know also that in the last times perilous times shall come. And he goes through a whole list of things. 
And it reads in verse 4, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And, and people go to church just to have pleasure, fun, and to be aroused and to have their emotions all wound up. That's not the purpose. The purpose of going to church is to worship the Lord, to fall before him and honor him and respect him. It reads in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it from such turn away. And so it's serious. This is serious. God is not pleased. And you can read over and over again about the last days in the church that the Lord saw would come and has come. And how it's a lover of money. It's rich and increased with goods and have great properties and many dollars in the bank. But they, God has deserted them. Ichabog has written over the outside of these churches because his glory has departed. He is not pleased with what what's going on inside. And uh, <clears throat> you can read the rest of Second Timothy chapter 3. And in Revelation in chapter 3 that I referred to, verse 14 to 19 about the Laodicean church. You're neither cold nor you're hot. You're lukewarm. And the Lord said, I would spew thee out of my mouth. And so <clears throat> the apostles of the people under the leadership of Aaron had occurred very, very quickly. This people has turned aside. They have corrupted themselves, said the Lord. And verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them and have made molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereto and said, These are thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And then we go to the anger of the Lord. So we've seen the argument of the people to Aaron, the agreement of the priest, Aaron with them, the apostasy of the people, verse 6 and 8, and now verse 9 and 10, the anger of the Lord. The anger of the Lord is seen. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. You see, people don't get it, that God is not pleased. God is angered. My wrath is burning against them. We hear all the preaching about the love of God and there is the great love of God, but there is the anger of God against the wickedness of stiff-necked idolatrous people. Stiff-necked idolatrous. idolatrous. <clears throat> and uh, that's also mentioned in chapter 33 and 35 of Exodus. As Stephen, in his sermon, called them in Acts chapter 7. And I'll turn there to Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. We read there, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. And Stephen had in mind these people that had just come out of Egypt, the nation, as your fathers did, and all those that had committed that right up until the death of Christ, where they crucified him, and they were very stiff-necked in that re in that action, in heart and ears, and ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do you. And <clears throat> Stephen was not going to have any of this, and he was going to preach against it. And what did it get him? Well, it got him execution, executed. 
In verse 52, which the prophets, Stephen is continuing to say, which the prophets have, which of, which of the prophets, sorry, have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them who showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye now have been the betrayers and murderers who have received this law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And so they had all these privileges, this nation, this group, these in Exodus had all these privileges but have not kept it. And the generations up to Stephen's time had all the blessings, all the law given to them. They received the law by the disposition of angels but have not kept it. They made their own laws. They made up the Talmud. Not the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. The Talmud is what they developed after they came back to Israel and the, after, the, after the Babylonian captivity and they had 600 or more extra laws that are completely man-made laws. And they have to do this and have to wear that and have to have this. And they, it was all about the outward appearance. They, adhered, they appeared beautiful to men. But inwardly, the Lord said in Matthew 23, are full of dead men's bones and rottenness. And that's in Matthew 23. And, and what did the Lord speak to them about in Matthew chapter 23? <laughs> he spoke to them about their wickedness. And he said, woe in verse 13 of 23. Verse 14, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. Woe. Yeah, the Lord Jesus was so upset with the religious leaders of his day, he pronounced these woes upon them. I believe there's eight of them from verse 13 down to verse 29. And he, the Lord concluded like this. Fill up the measure of your fathers. And he's, the Lord said, like Stephen said, your fathers. Back then, these supposed spiritual leaders, the Aaron's in Israel. Ye serpent, of, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? You talk about a powerful sermon like Stephen preached, the Lord preached to them too about their wickedness, about their stiff neck nakedness, he, about <clears throat> the way they turned aside the hypocrisy that they had shown in their nation. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men, just as Stephen had said, said the Lord Jesus before him, some of them ye shall kill and crucify, some of them ye shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city and that's exactly what happened to the disciples when the church began they were after Stephen they were after the, the disciples and apostles and <clears throat> all the disciples were martyred they tried to kill John and uh, <clears throat> they, didn't, they couldn't kill him but they were all martyred because of the wickedness of the people Romans in Romans chapter 1 as we think of the, this same thing and the anger of the Lord against these people, the anger of the Lord against those who commit spiritual idolatry and adultery. In Romans chapter 1, we, we find here, and in verse 32, we read, And who knowing the judgment of God, you see, the judgment of God, God is angered. God is not pleased. God is always taking notice of what's going on on earth amongst people. Knowing the judgment of God and they who, that they who commit such things are worthy of death, 
not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They, they love doing this. These people in Aaron's day loved going off into this wild party after the worship service. Now they're having the, wor- the wild party before or during the worship service in many churches. And in chapter 2 and verse 5 through to 9 in Romans it reads, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath, Against the day of wrath, this is the judgment of God. This is the anger of God upon those who deliberately choose to go away from what he teaches them to follow. And the the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. People, preachers have stopped preaching about the wrath of God, the anger of God, the judgment of God upon those that go away from his word, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patience continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, to them, in verse 7, eternal life. Blessed be those that stay with the stuff. Blessed be the Moseses and the, the Joshuas that didn't stray from the path of truth. And blessed be you if you love the word of God and don't want to stray from the path of truth. But unto them, in verse 8, that are contentious, and oh, how contentious it is when you start talking about the types of music and even the mosh pits that happened in these secular churches. And it stirs up strife, indignation. And unto them, contentious that are contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath you see to one who are following the Lord blessing eternal life to those that are contentious and go away as those that persuaded Aaron to go that way indignation and wrath tribulation and anguish upon every soul that of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so Paul there is speaking of this judgment that these people are deserving of. God is angered. God is love. God is righteous. God is holy. God is truth. God is gracious. God is merciful. All these things must be considered as he seeing his reactions to these people. In the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, we find there in chapter 10 and verse 26 and 27. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth and these in Aaron and Moses' day did, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a fearful, a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. God is not happy. God is not pleased. And then again in verse 29 to 31. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified an unholy thing. Now these people had just one and a half months earlier shed the blood of a lamb on Passover and applied it to the lintel the doorpost of their houses. They were protected from the, the, the death angel taking the firstborn. They knew about the blood. 
we know about the cost to God of his son's death. We know about the blood. We know what it costs God for our salvation. And if we count it as an unholy thing, how much sore a punishment? If we substitute man-made ideas for the way of God, God is angered. We tread underfoot. Um, <clears throat> it's an unholy thing we count it as. We've done despite under the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. This all ties in. New Testament, Old Testament. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And if you want more evidence of how the, the Lord is upset, read Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 to 8. Those people that have a form of godliness, deny the power of it, and how that the judgment of God, God is angered at times with the people that he calls his own, that the people who claim him as their own. You can remember some of the thoughts from Old Testament times. <clears throat> How much does it take to get God angered? Well, Uzzah in First Chronicles 13.10 put his hand up to stay the Ark of the Covenant that was on an ox cart and was about to fall off as the ox went over the rough ground. The problem here was that the priests were supposed to carry the ark on their shoulders. They were carried on an ox cart and it shouldn't have been done that way. You say, oh, the circumstances, it just was convenient. Uh, they were pragmatic in their approach to this. Well, you know, what better way could we cart it than having uh, men cart it, let the ox cart it. They were trying to do God's work man's way. They were pragmatic in their approach. And David was very upset when <coughs> Uzzah died at the hand of the Lord because he had touched the ark and Noah told not to do that. And it was some years later that David eventually figured out we did it wrong. Would, we, would not we wake up to that the Lord is not pleased? You say, with such a simple thing of a man just trying to do the right thing, God was angry. This is how we, we need to look at and view what God thinks. Think of when David in First Chronicles 21 and Second Samuel 24 numbered the people. Remember the leader of his army, Joab, was not pleased to do this. He did not want to do it. He warned David about doing it. David went ahead and did it. He numbered the people. And then the Lord gave him three options as to what you want for judgment upon this. You say, just numbering the people is a problem? Yes, because God said not to. And 70,000 70, men died as a result of that. And a lot more would have died, but God was merciful and stopped the death angel. You think of Acts chapter 5, in verses 1 to 11. Again, we find how serious it is to offend God and to get him angry and how he reacts. Ananias and Sapphira. They sold their property and they gave half of it to the church. 
Hey, if, if people did that today, I'd say, wow, half of it to the church. And it could have been a big farm. I don't know what it was, a house, a, a, a mansion. We don't, it's not said, but they gave half of it. Surely God would be pleased. But the problem is, you know what they did? They lied to the, to the Holy Spirit. They said they gave it all. And what happened to these two people? Both of them died at the hand of the Lord before Peter. And they up and carried them out and had a funeral for those. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Ghost. Uh, <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, there we have the how we're to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're told, you know, we're not to do it unworthily. We're to come before the Lord and we're to confess our sin before we celebrate the table. And if we do not get things right before the Lord and we have things wrong in our lives, then some are sick. No, some are weak, some are sick, and some have died. You see, it's, it's still serious with God. God is not pleased. Listen to what First John 5.16 says. There is a sin which is not unto death, and there is a sin unto death. So there are sins we can commit that get God's displeasure upon us, and we can die as a result of that. Physically die, not spiritually. The Lord can take our lives, just as in 1 Corinthians 11. Listen to what Psalm 7 verse 11 says. God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry with the wicked every day. He's angered with the wickedness of the wicked every day. Yes, his love, his mercy, his grace is extended to them every day, but continually they spurn them. They spurn those things, those gracious gifts of God. And the anger of the Lord is kindled. Listen to what 2 Kings 13.3 says. The Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. Chapter 17 and verse 18 of 2 Kings. The Lord is angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. And in Psalm 78, 59, when God heard, he was filled with wrath and greatly abhorred Israel. Folks, we need to take heed. And we live in the day of Laodicea right at the end of it. And we need to not stir up the anger of the Lord against us by sinning against him, by committing adultery, going, going off and being pragmatic in our approach to ministry. Well, it works. The church is full of people because we use this method, man's method, humanistic means to fill the Lord's house. No, it's wrong. The anger of the Lord is kindled. He, he, he urges us, as, as he urged the church at Laodicea to buy of him gold tried in the fire, to have our eyes anointed with eye slav that we may see what is really happening in our lives. The advocacy of Moses comes in in verses 11 to 16. So the argument of the people, the agreement of the priests, the apostles of the people, the anger of the Lord, and now the advocacy of Moses. And Moses is debating with deity here. He's 
talking with God. Look at your Bibles in verse 11. Verse 11, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does thy wrath wax hot against this people? This word wax hot is used about six times. God's anger is waxing hot and Moses is waxing hot here. Why, God, does your anger burn against the people whom you brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power, with mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians say? And so (laughs) we have something very interesting happening here. Moses is talking to God like this. (laughs) Moses' debate with deity. When things go well, it's my people, my church. But when things go wrong, it's your people, it's your church. Notice this play on words here. When God spoke to Moses in verse 7, for thy, he said to Moses, For thy people have corrupted themselves. <laughs> thy people, thy church, Moses, have corrupted themselves. And then <clears throat> Moses is throwing it back at the Lord and saying, Thy people, they're your people. I don't want to own them. God said, I don't want to own them. <laughs> When, they, when Moses found out what they were up to. But Moses is pleading here. Moses gives two reasons why God should change his mind about destroying these people as his anger waxed hot against them. And uh, as he said in verse 10, God said, I'll make of thee a great nation. I'll consume them and I'll grow a nation from you. But Moses pled, pled for them in verse 11. He advocated for them. Praise God, we've got an advocate, the Holy Spirit. First John chapter uh, 2, verses 1 and 2. And, and the, the Lord Jesus. So we go through the Spirit to the to Lord Jesus. He is our advocate. And he besought the Lord. Moses was advocate here. Why doth thy wrath burn hot against his people whom thou, thou, ha- thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say? So there's two reasons. Moses gave why God should change his mind about what he's about to do. First of all, because of his foes, that is, the Egyptians. The Egyptians will say, For mischief did he, God, bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. From Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against them. Moses said, pleaded, don't do this, Lord, because the Egyptians will say, God saved them, but he can't keep them going on the right track. What sort of God is this? He's a weak God. He's anemic God. He can't do what he said he would do. Look at his people. He had to roast them in the the desert. He had to burn them up with his great wrath against them. Please, Lord, don't do it because your name will be dragged through the mud if you do. If you slay them in the mountains and consume them on the earth. Turn, 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 said Moses to the Lord from this. And the second reason Moses gave is most interesting. I found anyway, you may not, but in verse 13, remember, Moses said to God, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, Jacob, thy servants, to whom thou didst swear by thine own self and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and this land that I have spoken will I give unto your seed and they shall inherit it forever. Ah, 
What is God talking about? What is Moses talking about to God here? These are the covenants that God made with Israel. (laughs) And so the advocacy of Moses, the second reason, because of your friends. Remember these three men, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Because of the foes, the Egyptians, and because of the friends, don't do this, Lord. Because of what? The covenants. Because of the covenants, don't do this. In Romans chapter 11, the Lord is speaking to Israel, 9, 10 and 11 of Romans. And in verse 25, he said, you know, that one day God's going to deal with Israel when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. That is, they get saved, they come into the church. And so all Israel shall be saved, as is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That is not the church. That is Israel, the nation. For this is my covenant unto them, Israel, when I shall take away their sins. This is my covenant. Paul is talking about the covenant here, and particularly the new covenant that God made with Israel. Read Jeremiah 31. As concerning the gospel, they... The Jews, the nation of Israel, are enemies for your, the church's, sakes. But as touching election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Here it is saying that in verse 29, that the covenants of God are irrevocable. Moses was pleading that the covenants that you made with Israel are irrevocable. Remember your friends. Remember the covenants you have made. And you can't break your covenants. Paul said it. You're not going to break your covenants. They're irrevocable. They can't be changed. They will go forward. You know, we have some people say there's only two covenants. The covenant of works, which is the keeping of the law, and the Old Testament, and the covenant of grace, the gospel in the New Testament. And they ignore the covenants that are here spoken about. And they don't even look and consider them. Consider the covenants that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One was the Abrahamic covenant. And Moses is using this to plead with God. This, Moses said, is irrevocable, as Paul said. This is unchangeable because you made it, God. You you kept it. Abraham couldn't, he was in a deep sleep. And you sealed the covenant, you can't break the covenant. Hey, isn't it good that God doesn't break his covenants that he makes? He's made a covenant with us. We're involved in the new covenant, the covenant that the blood of Jesus Christ, when we believe by faith on him, we have eternal life. And that covenant cannot be broken. We cannot be taken out of the Father's hands. Praise God for that unbreakable covenant and so Abraham had an unconditional or the Abrahamic covenant was unconditional and what that was that your children Israel be as a sand of the sea and the stars of the heavens and it's in Genesis 12 13 15 and 17 is given and reiterated there's the other covenant that Moses referred to here not only the Abrahamic covenant that he made with them that they'd be as a sand and and the stars, but the Palestinian covenant that they would have a land. It said there, 
Give your seed and they shall inherit it, the land, forever. You can't curse these people because you've already blessed these people. (laughs) You can see it very clearly if you have a will to see this. There's other promises too that God covenanted with Israel and that's the Davidic covenant that there always would be a king of the tribe of Judah on the throne and the Lord is going to be the eventual king of them. Um, Athaliah tried to end that and it didn't happen. There's a new covenant, the cleansing. This is unconditional. God will cleanse them. There's the Mosaic covenant that we read most about in the Old Testament, which is conditional. That was, if you keep these laws, you will stay in the land and you will be blessed. If you break the laws, you'll be out of the land and you won't be blessed. But here, Moses bases his advocacy on the argument you God are our friend you have to keep your covenants with us and folks we can be thankful that God keeps his covenants there's there's other covenants he made he made a Noahic covenant he said I will never destroy the world again with a flood and how do we know the promise is seen in the rainbow the rainbow was God's means of saying this is what I make this is the covenant I make with mankind I will never destroy it with a flood again but he has said he's going to destroy it with fire read 2nd Peter chapter 3 folks we need to be careful in how we tread before the Lord how we walk before him we've seen the argument of the people to get up and make a golden calf. The agreement of the priest Aaron, the apostasy of the people, rose up to play and commit terrible sexual sins after their worship service or during it. And then the anger of the Lord, and Moses is saying, why are you so mad? (laughs) Cool down. And then we see that Moses pled for the people. Praise God for spiritual leaders that are few and far between today that pray for the people of the Lord. When the people of the Lord go astray, when you wander off as a lost sheep and there's someone, there might be a mother or a father or a grandmother, grandmother, a father or mother or, or a pa- you know, pastor, whoever, a leader, a deacon, a, a concerned Christian that prays for you as Moses pled for them. Don't stop praying for those that have gone astray. Don't stop praying for the children who have gone out into the world and are sowing their wild oats. Keep praying that they may come. Pray that they don't ever go out and sow their wild oats. Let's advocate. Let's stand between. Let's do what Moses did here to seek the Lord's face and that the Lord might repent of the evil that he thought to do unto his people in verse 14. And the better thing is, don't go astray. Just walk with the Lord. Walk pleasing to him. Don't upset the leader. Don't upset the Lord. But please follow the Lord. Read his word. Know what he wants. And there's plenty of materials around. If you want some, we can give you some. But read the Bible and be encouraged to do what is right. Let us pray as we close today. Thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you for the example of these people and Moses and and yourself heavenly father Uh, Lord 
let us see the seriousness of the Christian life. Let us not take it lightly. These are eternal matters. These are important things. Lord, we, we can't tread all over your word and, and, and tread on the blood of Christ and, and think it's just a light thing. We, we can't refer to you as the man upstairs. Lord, help us to show respect for you and your word and for your authority and leadership. And may we follow hard after you and be pleasing in your sight that you might be willing and, and you are able to pour blessings upon us if we just but follow you as you have deemed it so. Lord, if there is a non-Christian listening in today, they are still in Egypt. They are still in the world. They are lost. They're under the condemnation of God because they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. May they turn to you by faith and believe and get out of Egypt. Come to the Lord Jesus, so to speak, and come through the blood of Christ and see what a wonderful thing God has done for them in sending his son to be their saviour. Bless them with salvation today. Minister your word today as we consider these things and obey these things. Let's not be hearers and not doers, but doers and hearers of the word. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.